thank you for that. It's been an honor having Jason and Ellen uh, being a part of us for the last eight years. And uh, you guys have shared him with us, and it's been, a, it's been an absolute delight. And I do want to highlight, um, you know, there, there's a lot of things that make things work. But the number one thing in my life besides Jesus Christ that helps make all this work is my wife, Valerie. So if you could help, if you could stand up. She is amazing, and she does prove that behind every great man is even a greater woman. And, amen. And my two awesome kids, Lauren and David, I won't make you stand up right now. You know, we've been talking about responsibility, and over this last year, I had the privilege, hmm, wrong wording, I had the opportunity to have a new frame of reference to what it feels like to go over the hood of a car on a motorcycle. And my first thought when I landed, because that was the only thing I really remember, I heard the bang and then the land, and I remember saying, I just spilt all that coffee that I was carrying on my arm from Starbucks. <laughs> it's funny what comes to your mind when something hits. But as I got up off the ground, uh, the, the medics were there because it happened right in front of the fire department and airport. And so the police, everybody was there. And I'm getting my senses and getting to know what's going on and trying to get my balance. I'm sitting on the curb and, uh, you know, you get the wind knocked out of you, it, it kind of feels a little different. And, um, but I had been in the police academy, so I kind of had this idea of the, the paramedic thought and the medics were there and they were looking me over, we're dealing with the shock issue and uh, we're there for about an hour and I could stand up, I could walk, I was breathing, I was kind of testing whether what's going on with my lungs, can I think, can I do all that? And so they said, you want to go to the doctor? And I said, well, just hold on. Because I wanted to hear what the father wanted me to do. Now, I know this seems like just this foreign concept, and it has nothing to do with whether a doctor or not a doctor. It had to do with I've learned something a long time ago. I want to have the source of information before I go to the secondary source of information. And in that moment, that was the first, my trigger that I went to. See, you prepare yourself. You don't just start in those places. You start in the places that don't matter. You own the little things that don't really matter, but it builds the relationship you have. Like your kids, they, they build the relationship with you when they want to hang on your leg as you're trying to go down the stairs. They build the relationship when they're throwing the ball and they're interacting with you. A relationship is being built. And so it was in those times that this happened. So I remember getting up off the ground and uh, going through this, but... Time had kind of settled, and I was coming to my senses, and I was sore. And I've, I kind of knew I'd broken a rib, but we go and we walk in. I fill out the police report, and the medic comes over and cleans up a little bit of road rash, and they said, do you want to go to the hospital? And I'm, I'm pondering, and I'm like, no, I need to go home. But this is coming from the heart of my father. Now... There is other times I would say, yes, you need to load me up. So I wasn't trying to make a decision that if I make the most spiritual decision, then God will show up on my behalf. 
I'm going within promises that he has built into me. So I ride my bike home, about an hour and a half had transpired during all that. I ride my bike home, it wouldn't shift into third gear because the, the peg was flipped down. So I had to reach down and get it into third and I just rode it in third on the way home. And then I realized something's really hurting because that was not a good experience. So I get home, kind of started leaning closer on the bike and we get in and we lay down on the couch. And uh, Val's what's wrong, I said, well, I got hit by a car, but just hold on. <laughs> Did the police report, I think I'm gonna be okay. And I realized, hey, we, I think we need to get upstairs to the bed because this couch ain't gonna work because the adrenaline's starting to wear off and I know where we're going. Long story, we're on the bed and uh, and we're still constantly just praying, God, what do you want us to do? What's the action to take? Um, I know what they do with broken ribs at the hospital. It's morphine, sit, a lot of annoying movements, and it's worse experience than just laying in bed. So we get there, get to the point where after the first night, we make it through the night. The second night, I'm getting claustrophobic from laying flat on my back because I can't sleep on my back. So now I'm kind of hitting this claustrophobic point of what, what's going on, what's going on. And I remember, I don't know how to explain what with means. But when my son is, come up here, David. So when my son is with me, and, and we're walking and we're doing something, he's with me. And it was as if I heard the voice say, just calm down. But it was like mine, but it was like something else. Just calm down. It was like I was talking to myself. It was a very strange experience. And then during this time, th this voice is walking, this, I call it a voice, but you know what it is. So I, this voice is walking with me and I'm, I'm laying there and my mind begins to reel um, about some scripture verses because Valerie had put these scripture verses on of Christ the healer. And so I wasn't trying to cram scripture in that maybe if I get all the right words in, then God will do something on my behalf. No, I'm just wanting to reconnect and be with the one. I, so I'm just setting my heart and my mind that I'm with him. I'm not trying to get an emergency cram in. And so during that time, all of a sudden I, I, I get beyond the point where the panic is gone and I tell my mind to shut up. That's what you need to do sometimes because you can't think, right? So my mind is telling me to shut up. And it was about 11.30 at night. And I remember it was like we were tandem. The reason I'm walking like this is because this is how the Father works. So it was in tandem where I heard this voice say, get up. But it wasn't a get up like a voice calling for me like you need to go do something. Go do it. It was more like with me, let's get up. And it was at that moment, it's like we sat up together. We did it together. And I was on the end of the bed and I'm like, Val, 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 I'm up. And it, it startled her because she had, you know, she's imagining the worst at this moment. And so she went in and got the recliner, brought it to bed and a healing, I was healed at that moment. Now you might be saying, but you still sat in the chair. Oh no, I didn't sat in the chair. It became one of the most exciting experiences because every day, me and God, my father, we were doing things together. Okay, see how far you can stretch today. See how far you can stand today. See what you can do today. And all of a sudden, this thing that came to wreck us became a fun adventure. 
because we're doing it with each other. Thank you, David. And I say all that because I want you to catch what responsibility is. Responsibility is responding to what he's given. But it's with him. He doesn't throw something out there, go do that, and then he walks away and just watches to see what you're going to do. He actually comes to where you're at, he gets in and gives you something and wants you to respond, then he walks with you to do that thing. I've never experienced anything like that. By the way, I never want the experience again, but I've never experienced anything like that. I will have to say, I learned a scripture that has to be wrong because whoever wrote a merry heart doeth good like a medicine had not broken their ribs because that was quite the experience. No, I'm just kidding. It really did hurt when you start laughing because you can't stop. But watching what began taking place and in a short amount of time, it was, it was like, hey, I got my arm up today. I did this today, but it wasn't like, I hope I recover. I hope this takes place. I hope, I knew it was done. Now I just had to walk it out. But we didn't want relief from it. Like there was something energetic, like I'm gonna get going down these steps. I'm gonna get, these things are gonna begin happening. But there was a sense of confidence. I didn't have to try to do it. I didn't have to have someone coax me to do it. I didn't have to have any of those things take place. But I'm telling you that story because it started with learning to take responsibility. Because I was free in that moment, even with all the chaos and the coffee being spilled, which was just awful. Like, you know, you finally get the core cup. And with, even with all the things going on and the, the bombardment of, should you go to the hospital? What are you gonna do? Oh, and, and the panic, and everybody else is more panicked than I am. I'm just like, everybody calm down. I need to hear. I need to hear. And sometimes when you can't hear, still calm yourself and bring someone that is sane, that can help you make a decision. That's, that's walking with. And I could have been at the hospital and it would have turned out great and I still would have had a great story. It's not about what I did. It was about the relationship and that meant so much to me that it became a joy. This is what owning a promise is. You know, when the enemy comes to you and says you're not saved, or you feel challenged in your faith, or you feel challenged of whether God loves you anymore, you're challenged in all that. We don't ask God to go die again for us. What we want is God to reconfirm in our heart and begin speaking to us so we can own that. But there does come a point saying, no, I am. This is what I am. Responsibility. It is the place where freedom emerges. The Father's desire for you, and this, this all flows into, again, responsibility is not something that you do on your own. It's not like you're, you're being imposed onto it. I can hold you accountable to something. I can, I can put a weight on you, but that doesn't make you responsibility, responsible because you never owned it. You never received it. You never took it. And I, I love this idea that emerged out of the whole issue that was going on with the rib is I don't want relief anymore. I want deliverance. I don't want to go to the spiritual pharmacy anymore just to have my, my mental brain calm just a little bit so I can move on. I want to go from the place that you said I was, what you saw in me, 
and to go to the place that you said I would be. And I want to see that movement because when I'm in that place, I look at everything completely different. Relief just clouds it so it feels good for a while, but then we're stuck. But we have to know first of our Father's heart towards us because responsibility is a sense of trust. So I like this in Jeremiah 3.19. It says, but I said, how can I put you among the children? Listen to God's desire. How can I put you among the children and give you a pleasant land, a beautiful heritage of the hosts of nations? And I said, you shall call me my father and not turn away from me. God has been doing everything to give to you, to give you something. But our stubbornness to receive becomes a big blockade. And then we start challenging God. See, it's, it's very interesting when, when I, I hear of other events, my first thought wasn't, we got to hold the lady accountable who hit me. My next thought wasn't, oh God, why are you making this happen? How bad of a disruption? I got things that I need to do, places I need to go. I got a ministry to run. I can't go sit in a, a bed for six weeks. Why would you do this to me? See, that's the spirit of a victim. And you put blame on God and we start creating an animosity. And that is what an orphan heart does. Because an orphan heart will say, will do things to push God away to prove that they're not worthy of receiving it. But see, when you know your father's good intentions, you don't even care about the why. The question becomes, Father, who do you want to be to me in this moment and what is my response to it? That's all that matters. But that's what his heart is. And then we forget how the enemy actually thinks about us because we have a real enemy. And it's not God. He's not a chess player. You have a real enemy. Look at this in Exodus 1, 8, 8 through 11. There arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply and it happen in the event of the war that they join our enemies and fight against us and go out of the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with burdens. Why does the enemy want to hold you captive? Because he's terrified of you. Joshua 1.9. Spies go into land. Rahab the harlot lets the spies come in, and Rahab the harlot exposes the heart of the people of Jericho. It says, when we heard about your, what your God did for you, we became terrified, and our hearts melted, and there was no more courage found in us. Then they, the, the children of Israel go from the wilderness into the promised land. And when they crossed the Jordan and it parted, it said the kings of Canaan, their spirit melted. They became weak. They were terrified of this people. Terrified. We've made the enemy so monstrous and powerful and, and, and these things. And I'm so thankful for what happened this morning because we're going we're gonna to do something with that. Right? Because we're not just looking for relief. Deliverance took place. 
So now we're going to work our thinking to correspond with that so we can walk that out. The enemy hates you, terrified of you, afraid of what you'll become, afraid of when you get a hold of these truths, afraid of when you begin owning what you are, begin owning your salvation, begin owning the promises, begin owning those things as yours, not just hoping God will do something for you, but it's yours. Owning generosity that is flowing from you because it's just what you are. Owning those things. Oh, you are a dangerous, dangerous person. Because what can the enemy do to you when you don't care what he thinks? What can the enemy do to you when the public opinion doesn't matter to you? What can the enemy do to you that you just want to serve, not for the praise of men, but because it's just what you are? Isn't that what Joseph did when he gets put into the prison? He could have whined, complained, moaned, and groaned, and shown of how wrong. It was wrong what happened to him. What was his response to it? He became the leader of the prison. And he began loving people and speaking into their life. And it was those moments that he was free in his thinking, opened the door, that he ran the nation. He was the greatest man in all of Egypt. And he was still a slave. And he wasn't even a citizen of the country. That's real. People, that's real. That's not just a story. That's how that works. Because when you're free from the opinions of the people and your pursuits of being known and being seen and being heard and having some sense of importance of some false validation by a group of people around you and you could stand knowing the Father himself validates you, you can work in that place to such a degree everyone knows God's with you. And things change. Let me tell you what, when you walk with God, you don't need rights. I don't have any in Thailand. Yeah, we have more favor than most of the people would. One lady asked, Oot, she goes, why don't you go, you've worked with the government, why don't you go get a government job and work in the police department or work through government so you can have recognition? He goes, well, first of all, this is my family. Second of all, I already work with all those people. He coordinates all of the officials. He's a guy from the wrong tribe of the wrong age of the wrong group. An immigrant from Burma. And he's the one doing the coordination with all the officials. Now you go tell me. What job do you want? Keep your rights. Give me my favor. Amen. I don't know where that came from, but that's for someone out there. Because the moment I have to demand what's mine, I've lost the responsibility of it because it means I don't have it. It's something out there. So you can't, this is why Jesus, when he was walking the earth, he owned responsibility. When he said, someone wants your coat, just give him your jacket as well. When someone slaps you on your face, turn on one cheek, turn the other cheek. When someone asks you to walk one mile, go two. He wasn't saying be a passive wimp and just be a little, a little know-nothing walking around and being the, the whipping boy of everybody. It puts you into a place of power because if you can't take anything from me and I'll go beyond what you're even asking, what do you do to me? It goes to this point. 
When you were up here praying, I saw a stallion going across. I went to horse camp when I was a kid. I never want to go to horse camp again. Because at horse camp, they give you a horse that is old. It's been castrated, so there's no life in it. Its main mission is to see how close it can get its nose to the tail of the horse in front of it. It will not waver from the trail because that's where he's gone all his life. And you can yank on those reins all you want, but the only thing you're going to be able to do that will be significant, that will be different, was cleaning up after it in the stall that next morning. That was the joy of horse camp. But that is not the horse Jesus rides. It's a stallion. Now, a stallion is completely different. It's wild. But at first, it's out of control. It does its own thing. But there's a spirit in it. It's alive. And the Greeks used to take the horses, and they wouldn't break the horse. They would temper the horse. And they would work with the horse. And the one rider would become so one with the horse that in the heat of the battle with the blood and the, the, the noise and all of the chaos of warfare, just the slight touch of the heel of the rider would move that horse. And the horse and the rider were one. It's a word the Greeks call prow. It's the same when a, a soldier fit for battle, fully skilled, fully strong, fully prepared, it, uh, someone that you don't want to face, yet at the commander's whisper, hold your arms, the sword will remain in the sheath. He's at complete control of the master, but the master completely understands the soldier. They're one. Prow. And it's the word that we use for meek. And the meek will inherit the earth. It's not a place of weakness. It's a place of responsibility. See, the horse had to learn the response to the ability of the master till they flowed together as one and you couldn't separate the two. And what made them feared was the uniting of the two together. But by themselves, either of them had no value. See, the father won't do anything without you. And you can do nothing without the Father. But I'm telling you, when you want, go one, the things that you face that have disrupted your life, that have come in, and that you're battling, and they're always going to come. I, I promise you, till the day you die, there's two things you can count on. Problems will come, taxes will need to be paid, and you're going to die. Those are the three things that you can count on the rest of your life. But you can choose your response to every one of them, and that's where responsibility comes in. We get to choose. When you're in the middle of going to a meeting, and you have your agenda, and you have your plan, and this is how you're going to do your program, and you go meet with the official, and you have everything all laid out, and you got your ducks in a row, and you got it all there, and he says, 
I'm going to be late. And so then you wait longer. Then he comes. He says, but we're going to go out to lunch first. And then you're doing this. He says, I want you to come to a meeting with me. And it's all in tie and five hours of your day. And you're going, dear God, I've just wasted five hours of our day. When am I going to get to my thing, my dream, my vision? When am I going to make that happen? But you stop because you're hearing the voice of the Father. Just relax. Rest. Listen. I'm not stripping you of your spirit. I'm just going to release it at the right time. And that's what got us into everything that we're doing. I've gone to more lunches and meetings that I don't have an idea what we talked about. <laughs> but it was because I did that relationship formed. That's meekness. Meekness is you have the strength. We don't, if you're going to be a victim, you can never be meek. You can't be humble unless you're strong. You understand what I'm saying? You can't be, if God says, I want you to be, be humble, or I want to, you to have a humble heart, or I want you to be meek, that means you have the capacity to be the other thing. To be strong, to be fierce, to be, to be competent. He's just asking you to... Surrender it for a moment as he's moving you and adjusting you because he wants to win as bad as you did because he's the one who put the dream in your heart to begin with. For some reason, he gives us a gift. Now it's up to us to make it work. That sounds ridiculous to me. So responsibility, it embraces who our father is. And who we are to him. That's what made the horse meek. The rider became, built such a trust with the horse. And the horse with the rider. The humility was flowing between them. The rider valued the horse. The horse valued the rider. And they would run into the heat of battle. And after the battle, the horse would be thirsty. And he could bring them to the brook to drink. But the horse wouldn't even put his mouth near the water till the master said, drink. I don't think we catched the power of that. We are so about independence. How do we make it our, on our way? How do we get there? How do we get going? How do we get our thing? God, how do I get my vision going? And I've been there. But when God put a vision in my heart when I was 11 years old that I'd be in Asia with a healing ministry... I was terrified of that idea. And I didn't have to make it happen. God worked everything through my life because when he puts a calling and a vision in your heart, he doesn't repent that he made a mistake. That means he's well able to understand all of your idiosyncrasies and your paths. That's why there's no five steps to something. Well, I mean, there, there is. But you understand what I'm saying? There, there's no cookie-cutter way to get from point A to point B. Your background is so radically different that even with the same truths, your path to get from point A to point B is going to be completely different. But it's the same spirit, it's the same heart, and it's the same end result. That's why you're not supposed to compare yourself with other people. The moment you compare, you give up responsibility. You give up power. The moment you say, well, what about this guy? What are they doing? Well, what about this person over here? What are they doing? You just gave it up. 
The moment you say, I'm just going to own what I am. But you don't know what these other jerks are doing. God knows and loves them too because you were one. I was one. He's well worth, he's well versed in how to deal with jerks. This whole Bible is filled with them and he loves them. But if we can let his grace change us, maybe we could have a different look and let God deal with those people in a way that they're just as valued as you are and let God handle them. We step back and say, I'm going to own what I can. I'm going to own me. And I'm going to take what I am and give it to you and work and you begin building this dream in me and it doesn't matter what anybody throws me in if I allow your relationship and I shut out the noise and I shut out the crowds and I shut out the thoughts and I listen to what you're saying about me then nothing is impossible to you but I want it how am I going to get it going forward how do I get it now how do I how do, I, how do I pursue this? I'm being a little rapid as I'm speaking, so there's a, I'd have a more gentle approach on a one-on-one, -on -one, but just, just for speed's sake. We, we have this, and we're like, I gotta get here, I gotta get here. Why? Why do you have to get there? You couldn't get to where you are now. Why do you have to get there? What's propelling you to get to be discontent with who you are now and I have to get over here. What's propelling you? Is it because the Spirit of God and you're seeing His heart and you're flowing with Him and you're just able to go, but then you're still loving every person that's around you as you're going? But the moment's like, if I get there, then I'll be something. Then the dream's no longer you and the Father. The dream's about getting man to see that you're something. Now we're back to the orphan heart issue is, do you want me? Do you want me? And if we keep that question, if we let God answer the question, do you want me? And his emphatic answer is yes, we become content. And just as David was given the kingdom and he would be the greatest king, the most well-known king in history is King David. And when they took his kingdom, they said, he said, fine, I'm not fighting over it. God gave it to me. You guys do what you're doing. And he stepped aside and waited. He didn't try to make his kingdom happen because he was already the king. You don't become the thing when you get there. You become the thing the moment your father says this is what you are. A mango nut does not worry about what it's going to become. It just is a nut and you plant it in the ground and you get a mango tree. Doesn't sweat it, doesn't worry about it, doesn't ponder it, doesn't know how it's going to get its fruit out, doesn't even worry about how the branches are going to grow. It doesn't worry about where the water is. It's just going to go and it's going to build roots deeper. And how does it know what it's going to be? Because it's going to look just like the seed that it came from. I'm not saying I don't work hard at the things that God has given me, but I don't work hard to get you to approve of me. Yeah. I work hard because I'm approved, so how can I get this out? Now it's not work anymore, even though I've sweat, I'm tired, and I have to face issues. But the moment my value becomes from what I'm doing, now we have a different problem. But as long as I let the value be because of who my father is to me, because you're going to work hard and you're going to face stuff 
and you're going to have to deal with all sorts of things. But I've learned it from my two kids, and then I'm going to turn it over. But I want you to catch this. Responsibility. My two kids grew up in a land, and it was a big concern for me and Valerie. How are we going to get our kids into those activities to develop them that we used to have? How are we going to get them into the dance classes and the sports programs and all those things? How are we going to do that? That's not really available. How are we going to get them to, to promote their life? Are we, going to, are we putting them into a bad situation by bringing them to another nation and trying to raise them there in a place that is not familiar? But I remember what the children of Israel said. Oh God, you brought us to this land to make our children victims. But I'm not going to believe that way. I'm going to your promise, which means, bless God, our kids are going to be better than what they ever have. See, wherever you're planted, there's enough provision for everything that you need within that space. So my kids go and practice on their own. And I watch my daughter. There's no dance class, but she loves dance. There's a little dance class at the time, but she didn't get a part there, and it was a small little school, but nothing you're going to you know, have a future in. But she goes and practices in her room every day because she's a dancer. She practices and practices and practices and practices and works on her, all these things where she can do things with her legs that just aren't even human. That's not right. <laughs> and then schools open up and all of a sudden we discover venues and all of a sudden she's taking a lead in a dance program and, and the place that she went that she wanted a chance, she, had no, she wasn't good enough to even get a part. And now this year she gets to be the lead at the school. Because they didn't take the mentality that we're missing something. They took the mentality as I have opportunity. See, same problem. Different way of thinking. From victim someone who's owning what they are, being responsible. And that's for you. The question God has for you vast, do you want me? And his answer is, I have pursued you longer than you've even asked. And that becomes our security and responsibility becomes the outflow that we have. Amen?